Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning. <clears throat> Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Uh, today's topic, I think, is a very important one, very impactful one, and one that if we are to take the lessons home, we could have a measurably improved life. I thought we have introduction. Uh, but not only that, I think when we look at some of the subject uh, material, the, the literature that talks about our subject, it makes it very clear that its, its centrality in, in Judaism uh, is enormous. Uh, let's talk about the verse in scripture that says as follows. Quote, Let me tell you, O man, what is good for you and what is the Almighty asked of you? Only that you should do justice, love kindness, and be modest with the Almighty. It's a verse that in Micah 6. Micah 6. Very good. Micah 6. Right. Um, and this is, I think, very important because when you look at the Torah in general, there's a lot of details. There's a lot of minutia. There's a lot of individual little things that are, you know, that are important. You know, that's, you know, they, what we call the tree in the forest, the trees in the forest. There's a lot of details. But when you zoom out, we could, it seems like from the, from the scripture, it seems like it's saying that this is really the three categories of, uh, of, of what the humanity really wants from us. You know, to do what's right. To be kind and to be and 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 to be and to be modest. That's one example. We have another example in in, uh, in Deuteronomy. Uh, and now, Israel, what does anybody ask from you uh, uh, to do? Team, sorry, I mixed up with my scripture here. Either way, uh, this seems to tell us that one major pillar of Jewish responsibilities that we have is to be kind or to love kindness. Uh, that's uh, ex- Exhibit A. I'm sorry? How you think about something? Well, give me the chasidim, we'll get that in a second. That's our, uh, our, our subject. But there's another verse in, in, uh, in the beginning of Deuteronomy that says this has the same beginning. That now, O Israel, uh, what does the Almighty ask from you? Um, to, to fear God, to love God, uh, right? Etc. You can find it in a second if you just give me a... Give me the book. Either way, uh, so, so that's that. Exhibit A. Exhibit B, we find uh, a verse that is repeated multiple times in the Torah. In fact, there's eight times in the Torah that we are told, halachta bidrachav, and you shall walk in God's ways. You should go in God's way. Uh, you should be like God. And the Talmud explains to us, what does it mean to be like God? It means to emulate God. It means to modify your behavior that it should be more aligned with God's behavior. Well, what's God's behavior? So let's examine. So Talmud says, Mahu racham racham. Just like God is merciful, you should also be merciful. Just, just like God is kind, you should be kind. God's benevolent, you should be benevolent, etc. And this is repeated eight times. Eight times, clearly, it's trying to hammer home the idea of how important it is to act like God, how to behave like God. Uh, some other interesting ideas about kindness that we find in, in the sources. Um, this I found a, a lot of different uh, statements that seem to provide overlap between Torah, Torah study, and kindness. Uh, for example, the Talmud says that it used to be when the, when the temple was extant, you would uh, sin, and then you would go to the temple, you bring a sacrifice, we read about this past week's parsha, bring a sacrifice, an atonement sacrifice, and you say the prayers, etc., etc., bless you, and we, uh, and you have forgiveness. That's it. Very simple way to seek atonement. A sin provides a blemish on your soul. Your soul is sullied post-sin. You want to clean that up? 
you want to improve it, you want to power wash, you bring the sacrifice, <laughs> fine. Now that we don't have the temple, says the Talmud, what do we do? How do we gain atonement? How do we gain atonement? Study of Torah, doing kindness. Those are the two things. And, and, the, and the bullocks of your lips, right? Isn't that, you turn to prayer, right? Uh, isn't that what it also is? Prayer as well, yes. And then we find that those three are, seem to be like the three pillars uh, that was mentioned already earlier. Uh, yes, but very interesting. We find another another statement. This is I found also very intriguing. Uh, it talks about Ailey, the descendants of Ailey. Remember, we uh, we have in the book of Samuel that the high priest is spelled by the name of Ailey. So his kids they went awry, uh, and their descendants were cursed that they're all going to die young. They all of them died young. The Talmud tells of two descendants of Ailey that uh, that they managed to. Uh, negate or undo the 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 uh, plague that affected or afflicted all the descendants of alien. They were able to live long. One of them lived long to 40, 40 years old because they studied Torah. One lived to sixty because they had Torah and kindness. Once again, this kind of gives us an insight at you know the magnitude of kindness and Torah, and the you know that they're interlinked. Be, uh, that they uh, that they extend someone's life. You know, you have atonement. You want you want to extend that. You want you want to. Uh, uh, absolve yourself from sin. Well, okay, do this. You want to live a longer life? Well, Torah and uh, and and kindness. Another thing I found. This is this to me. This this is one of the this is the shocking one. And this actually, I think Dan, when he sent out the uh, email, unscripted, um, he seemed to say the same thing. I don't know where he knew this from. Thomas is an Avodazar, a book of Avodazar, but talks about idolatry, uh, idolatry primarily. If someone studies Torah but doesn't, but doesn't engage in kindness, is comparable to someone who does not believe in God. You study Torah. You spend your life in, in the house of study. You learn the Almighty's Torah. But you don't engage in kindness. You don't behave in a way where that is demonstrated by your character, it's as if you don't believe in God. If you told someone, hey, listen, you know, I see you spending you know, 12 to 15 hours every day studying. Well, what are you studying? Let's look at it. Oh, it's, it's Hebrew. Which way do you hold the Hebrew? <laughs> Which way do you hold the book, right? I said, well, listen, this is the Omega's Torah. It's been around for a really long time. It's pretty remarkable. Oh, wow. So you're dedicating your life to the study of the Omega's Torah. Wonderful, right? You can't make a very good living being a Talmud, Talmud Stellar. I assure you that. Uh, so you're doing it because you you know you want to study the Almighty's Torah. You want to tap into the Almighty's brain. You want you you want to gain uh, divine wisdom. Fantastic. You don't believe in God. What? What? What do you mean you don't believe in God? What are you doing all day? You're studying Torah. Talmud says if you study Torah but don't engage in kindness, it's as if you don't believe. It doesn't say you don't believe in God. It says you're you're comparable to someone who doesn't believe in God, which is something. I think very, very compelling. The idea is, is very, you know, that's, uh, if someone were to underestimate the importance of kindness, just show them that, that particular communic statement in the Buddha Vodazar 17b, down 47% of the way down. And that, and that should change uh, their perspective instantly, I think. Uh, additionally, the th- three things the world depends on, Torah, service of God, and, uh, and loving kindness. And this is what I found. This is, oh, this is fantastic. Another thing I found that when I was uh, fiddling around with a subject, 
Uh, we know uh, that the, um, the beginning, right in the beginning of, um, of Deuteronomy, famous verse, Torah tziva lanu Moshe. Torah was instructed to us by Moshe. Morashaki Latakov, it's the it's the heritage, it's the legacy, it's the birthright of the Jewish people. That's all the way at the beginning of, 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 of Genesis, of, of Deuteronomy. Now um, Moses taught us, the, taught us the Torah. So one of the commentators points out if you, you do the gematria, everyone here knows what the term gematria means? Gematria, I want to hear who here has not heard of the term gematria? I heard the term, but I don't know what it is. Okay, gematria means as follows, it's called numerical value. Hebrew letters have a numerical value as well. So Aleph is 1, and Bet is 2, etc. Once you reach 10, it goes 10, 20, 30, 40. And then once you reach 100, 100, 200, 300, 400 for, all, for the 22 letters. So the gematria of the word Torah is 611. As we know, the Moshe taught us, taught us Torah. Well, how many mitzvahs did he, are there in the Torah? 613. But we know that the first two of the Ten Commandments were... Uh, were, were prophecy from the Almighty to everyone. Thus, those two mitzvahs were taught to us by the Almighty. Did that, uh, 2 out of 613, what do you have? 611. Moshe taught us Torah. That, that, that's what the commentators uh, all say there. Very, very cute, very clever. What is the gematria of Gimilut Chasadim? Uh, it's a long word. Gimilut Chasadim. 611. Bam! Yeah. What the Torah perhaps, well, perhaps the lesson behind that is that they're equal. You know, there's there's two pillars, or or at least two pillars of our entire spiritual life. There's gonna be the Torah, Moses taught us the Torah, the maybe perhaps the way to connect to God intellectually, perhaps the way to mold our intellect uh, in the divine, divinely, the, the, the divine way. On one hand, then there's the other elements. Also indispensable, and that is to change our character. And don't think one's more more important than the other. You do one, but you negate the other. You're essentially negating a certain fundamental uh, element of faith. Very interesting. Uh, and lastly, the Talmud says, "Torah tchilasa chesed The word chesed means kindness, chesed, or to be lot chasadim, chesed as well. The Torah is beginning with chesed and ending with chesed. The Torah is bookended by uh, stories or, or demonstrations of kindness. How so? What does the Torah start with? So, what does the Torah end with? More simply, right? the, death the death of Moses. So, who tended to Moses? To Moses' burial and everything like that. The Almighty Chesed. We know that kindness, uh, kindness is uh, uh, perhaps one of the best way to do kindness. Talmud talks about Chesed uh, Shel Emes. True kindness is kindness with a dead person, right? To tend to the dead person, right? To, to take care of them, prepare them for burial, to, 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 go, uh, uh, to go to the funeral, to eulogize. That is a kindness that you do with someone who you know for sure will never reciprocate that kindness. That's called true kindness. Unadulterated kindness. You cannot mix in any other feeling. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe the, uh, I guess the, uh, the descendant, okay, fine. You know, but the kindness that is done directly with a dead person, is called true kindness. So God, the, the, the Almighty, the, the last thing we find in the book is the Almighty takes tends to uh, to Moses kindness. What's the beginning of the Torah? Okay, so this uh, so this is interesting. This is, doesn't go to in the beginning, right? And we know the Torah was the world was built with kindness. It doesn't seem to pick out that one. Interestingly, what it does talk about is uh, is uh, God preparing or uh, giving Adam and Eve. Uh, clothing of, of 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 leather, 
right? They're walking around, they're naked, they're, they're hiding from God, Adam and Eve in the Garden, in the, in, in the garden of Eden, right? Remember but that wasn't story? that after the sin? That's afterwards, that's right. So that seems that seems very interesting that that's considered the beginning, the to- beginning of Torah. Well, you could say simply, well, it's, it's towards the beginning. It's the beginning, first few chapters in Genesis. It's a very interesting point that you're bringing up, Steve. It's not the directly beginning, but for the, for the sake of, the, of this Talmudic statement, it says the beginning and the end of Torah. The simple answer is what I, is what I said. That, well, it's close to the beginning. It's one of the very first episodes. Not the first, one of the very first. Or we, there's perhaps something deeper, and I think that's something worthy of, of pursuing. Yes. I thought going to a funeral and the shiva yes. is more for the people who survive, not for the dead person. Well, the Talmud has a whole discussion about that. Is it is it is it yitra dechaya or yitra demes? Whole debate. Like, uh, is is it about honoring or or encouraging the live ones, or about honoring and memorializing the dead one? But for sure, there's an element of. Uh, of of the, of the dead person as well, and it's it's a nice send off uh, that we uh, that we give to people who have passed. Right. Yes. 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 But the but the, but the point the point being that it's it's a kindness that uh, you cannot uh, do it with you know seeking anything else other than the kindness. You know, if I, why visiting the sick is regarded so highly. Well, it's not quite the same because they could I'm saying they could get healthy and right. But isn't uh, visiting the sick one of the yes? It's one. It's one of the beautiful. Yeah, one of the most important things about kindness. Mm-hmm. Kindness uh, is a generality that has in it all interpersonal mitzvahs as well. So one of them would be visiting the sick. You know, who was the first to visit the sick? First documented visitation of a sick person. Anybody? Very first time uh, someone was someone sick was visited. After Abraham, right, the beginning of Lech Lecha, God comes to God comes to visit, and Rashi just tells you right in the spot, God came to visit the sick. And then what happens? The second God comes. What happens the instant God shows up? Who else shows up? Oh, is that where the three men? Three go? travelers. What does Moses? What What does Abraham tell God? Uh, can I wash your feet or something? Wait, wait a second. No, that's not. No, not going to tell you. That's what Abraham tells those three people. Abraham tells God, "Wait a second. I want to go tend to these people. Stick around. I want to go tend. I have I have something very important. I see three idolaters, three pagan worshippers coming here. I want to give them some food. And then all the and then in Jewish sources it says that this is a lesson that was taught us from Abraham. It is greater to do bring in, bring in uh, um, um, guests to your house to welcome guests is greater than even having prophecy." Which you scratch, it's a head scratcher. This is the first time we and, have. And Christians sometimes use that incident as a way of, of uh, depicting or foretelling the Trinity. The three well, men, they say that was three uh, angels or three. Well, uh, there's three angels as well. I'm, uh, yes, the, the Christians use a lot of. Uh, right. Okay, um, but that's that's also very interesting. Remember, this is the first time that Abraham uh, at least has recorded prophecy. This is the first time we, we see Abraham as prophecy. Could you imagine? Your whole life, you're defending an idea. You're basically um, contributing your life to this, to, you know, to God. And you're going against the grain, and you're just uh, a pioneer of spreading this idea. The pinnacle that someone that that that, that, a, that a believer of faith can have in their life, the, the highest experience someone could possibly have, is prophecy. 
and you finally get the prophecy. And what does Abraham say? <clears throat> Excuse me. There's three idolaters here. I got to take care of them. Wait. <laughs> Give me a second. I'll, I'll be right back. I'll be back. Right? I'll be right back. <laughs> Can you imagine? And the Talmud says, you know what? Uh, a welcoming in guests is a more transformational activity than having prophecy. Remarkable, remarkable thought. Either way, the Torah begins with kindness and ends with kindness. What does that tell us about the body of the Torah? That kindness is very important. If it starts with something and ends with something, perhaps that's the overarching lesson. Yeah. And if you don't deduce that, if you don't pull that lesson out, well, you, you didn't read the book. It starts with a point, it ends with a point. All, uh, as we know, when, uh, when you present an idea, uh, you're supposed to present the, 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 the hook. You have 45 seconds to make a hook, right? To, to, to latch everyone in, or to, you know, to grasp everyone. And then you, you, you have to do a callback at the end. Like every great article starts off with some statement that gets your attention. And then at the end, it kind of revisits that. The Torah starts off with kindness. Ta-da! Welcome aboard! And talks about kindness perhaps the whole book. And then at the end, oh, by the way, kindness seals, seals off with that. Perhaps that's the overarching lesson. And that would maybe teach us why someone who, doesn't, who studies Torah but doesn't do kindness, well, did you read the book? Did, did you actually read the book? Or were you studying Torah? Or were you just trying to study Torah for your own intellectual uh, achievements or uh, pleasure? Because if you didn't pull the lesson of kindness out, well, you didn't do a good job. And maybe we, we even call the question your, your faith. You know, if this was, if you really had faith, it was alive, it was real, you would have certainly deduced the element uh, of, of kindness from it. If you didn't, perhaps we could call that into question. So that's kindness. We see the paramount importance of kindness. It's, it's so central. It's one of the pillars that holds up the world. Uh, it's the quality that is, is demonstrated by Abraham and Moses, as we will see. And it's something that we should really take some time to look at. Kindness is really important. However, however, there are four kinds. Four kinds. Four kinds of kinds. There's four kinds. When we talk about kindness, there's going to be a lot of different things. There's an ascending level. There's, not all kindness is created equal. I could do something which is kind. You could do something which is kind. They're both kind. They're both important. But one of them can be at a much higher level. And the Torah outlines us a, a, an entire framework here, how we go from maybe we start off at ground zero, which is probably nothing, you know, no kindness. It's being a selfish little brat as a baby. who cares nothing about anyone else other than themselves. And you progress throughout kindness. And you move up to the kindness level one. And that's probably a challenge because... Doing something, innately we're wired to have our own self-interest at, at heart. And that's, that's what motivates us from day one. Kindness, by definition, means that you're doing something for someone else. So it seems a little bit counterintuitive. What do I gain by doing a favor for, for someone else? Maybe, maybe nothing. Well, then why would I do it? Because I'm kind. But wait a minute, that seems... So it's a departure from the way we're perhaps formed or physiologically uh, how we origi- uh, originate. So, so it's not going to be easy to jump to the last step, you know, but it's something that we have to do progressively. Or maybe we're already on stage two, which I think we are, as we'll see. So what's, 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 the, what's the most basic level of kindness? What's a basic uh, human decorum or a human quality 
that that we that we all experience in our day to day lives. Us and not only us, all humans. Charity, huh? Sadaka. Well, Sadaka, I think, is perhaps even a higher level. So the Talmud, the way of our famous verse, Olam Chesed Yibaneh, the world is built with kindness. There's something unique about the human condition, wherein we cannot survive on our own. We, yeah, look around here. Everyone seems to be wearing clothing. All right? Yeah. Okay. So far. Uh, who of us sew? Does anyone hear some? Some, of my, some people might sew. You sew. Okay, of course. So you sew. But did you sew your own clothing? I'm going to start getting my clothing from you. Uh, do, you do you sew your own clothing? Probably not. You probably not buy so it. Not so much anymore. You know? That's what we call interdependence. That's, the, that, that's, the, that's what builds the economy. You know? And that where not everyone needs to but do... Is, but Rabbi, are we talking about, in that sense, are we talking about kindness or commerce? Yeah, I agree. I agree. But that builds the world. The world cannot function unless we have a certain measure of self-reliance. We cannot all do this, all do everything, you know, in a way to maximize uh, uh, the human output, productivity. Uh, what we do is for our own benefit, really, essentially, you know. But I'll help you because you'll help me, and everyone else will help each other, and we'll all mutually benefit. What happens uh, when we? Do, and this this to us is simple, of course. Like this is what humans are. But animals don't live like that. You know, yes, of course, well, they, they, they're in packs and whatever, but they don't have this community and society where they, you know, the, the sum of the parts really is, is much greater uh, um, uh, than, uh, well, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, 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 the entity in, in its entirety is much greater than the sum of the parts, you know. That, that's that, that's an, an idea, and, like, it doesn't seem that remarkable. And, in fact, it's something that's not even... I'm like, is it is it is it is it a Jewish ideal? Probably not. In fact, we're told that the uh, city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why was the city of Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? So of course they were wicked, right? But what was at the root of their wickedness? They we're, did not protect the widow and orphan. That's 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 I'm saying that's for Standard. sure. But but for they Sodom. didn't they didn't have this quality. They had a lack of hospitality, lack of hospitality, but lack of this where. Humans need to rely on each other. You say, wait a minute. Salvador, were they Jewish? No. No. Okay, so not, they don't need to keep the Torah. They don't need to keep the Torah. So why could they be punished for not for doing kindness? The, you know, the, the, kindness they is a mitzvah. They were violating the Noahide. Was it the Noahide? Yeah, Which yeah, okay. Before the Torah, right? Yes, yes. Well, not before the but, Torah, but... But, the, what's, and what, but what does the Noahide law represent? It represents a functioning society. All humans, all humans, all so humans are. Uh, it was Sodom and Gomorrah. No, they were after. No. Yes, remember Abraham was. Abraham is the one who uh, tries to intercede oh, upon yeah. them. But the idea being, we're even Gentiles. You know, it's not about Judaism. It's about being a human. If you don't have this quality of of of, of having a world of kindness, wherein people rely on each other, well, then you 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 have no right to be a human. And the city why did has God been... send Jonah to Nineveh? Nineveh? Yes. Well, well, well it was the same. He picked Sodom and Gomorrah. He gave them an option to, uh, to... He sent Jonah to Nineveh. Yeah. There were other Gentiles That's doing a good the same question. thing that Sodom and Gomorrah were doing. You're, you're saying they didn't give the same, the, same, the same fair shot. But remember, they had Abraham and they had Lot, who was a positive influence. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe uh, that would have, theoretically, if they would have 
uh, listened to the influence of Lot, maybe they would have uh, also been saved. Remember, Abraham tries to intercede upon their behalf. They they had this one glimmer of hope, and maybe they just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Either way, that's that's idea number one. I think it's very basic. I think we have we have that. You know, we all fulfill that. That's that's a human reality. But also something that we learn as you grow up. You know, like in I was thinking in, in business. You know, sometimes people might not feel that it's beneficial for themselves to help their competitor or help someone. Uh, but usually, you find that the uh, uh, the people that are most successful or most likely to succeed are the ones that are very willing to help because then others will reciprocate, and it just it makes it better for everyone, and then everyone wins. Uh, especially the people that are the are the are the, uh, are, are the ones who are uh, magnanimous uh, in their helping others. Do you find that, Steve? That's yes, true. I, I Thank was you. about to say. I you can know, hear you. Do, do most of us here probably have heard of Zig Ziglar. I was okay. thinking of Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar, one of his trademark his slogans is you can, you can get everything in life that you want if you help enough people in life get what they want. Exactly. That's well, there you go. Huh? I don't know. He was a motivator. He's he was dead a now, speaker. but he was a very famous um, motivator. And, That's and, right. Yeah. And now his son, Tom, has taken up with his father. And he's a very spiritual, Very re- was a very religious. He did most of what next Christian, but he based it on, on God's uh, law. So that's that's level one. Very interesting. Uh, thank you for that. What's number two? So we talk about that being a human. Number one, we talk about being a human condition. We find the Talmud very interesting. I'm going to talk about three characteristics of Jews. Three characteristics that are, you know, that are, that are, that are Jewish in nature. What's that? Anyone heard of this? Three characteristics. The Talmud says if someone does not have these, they're not, they're not from the family of Abraham. If someone does not have these three characteristics, well, you question whether or not they're Jewish. Very interesting. There's a Talmud in Yivamos, I think it's 69a. Baishanim, Rachmanim, Gomlei Chasadim. Baishanim means they're bashful. They're not the rah, rah, rah guy dancing on tables and, you know. That's not the typical uh, uh, the typical Jewish quality, number one. Rachmanim, they're merciful. Jews are not cruel. The cruelty is something which is, which, is, which, which is anathema to Jews. And lastly, is that they do kindness. They do kindness. Right? Jews are kind. They say, wait a minute. What does this mean that this is a Jewish quality? Like, well, where, did we, where did we just get this from? It seems to be hereditary. It's like it's it's it's, it's something that you know Jews have uh, inborn. Well, how do we get this? What well, well, you know we uh, where did we chance upon this these qualities so much so that they're so uh, that they're so prevalent amongst Jews that if someone doesn't have that, you got to question whether or not they're even Jewish. So we find very interesting that the Talmud, uh, you know, is the very first uh, documented. Uh, uh, proponent of the idea of of acquired traits of of you know basically you know natural selection where someone's uh, uh, incorporated qualities are going to be perpetuated genetically or hereditarily to their children. You can't. I mean, with all the conversions and things, you can't really say that. Okay. So yeah. So that's why if you're it's, studying the Torah, right? Can learn but what does it? Well, what the, what does it say? It says. Someone who does not have these qualities, we question whether they're descendants of the patriarchs. It does throw that little, you know, that little curveball. But, but yes, even even converts, what attracts a convert to Judaism? That's what I like. There's many things that apparently attract converts to Christianity. We were the one that said, you know, it's so much more difficult yeah, to be yes. Jewish than, uh, yeah. than Gentile or 
Yeah, so uh, obviously because we're much more demanding for right. sure. Yeah. Either way, we find um, we find in in the uh, in the medieval commentaries uh, the Ran he goes on for pages upon this whole idea where someone incorporates within themselves a certain quality. Like if you work on Musa, we're talking about Musa a lot. So or kindness, some kindness or patience. We talked about a few a few weeks ago. Someone works on their patience, works on their anger, curbing their anger. What happens to their kids? You see hot-headed families, and you see families where everyone's meek and everyone's quiet and everyone's docile. And then, you know, it's clearly something where not only physical and perhaps intellectual traits are hereditary, but also certain temperaments and certain uh, uh, character traits are also transmitted. So there's this whole uh, uh, essay written by the Ran, who's a, a 12th century middle of a commentary, where he talks about this idea where someone in their uh, activities of working on their qualities, that changes something. He talks about the different secretions uh, within someone and the breakdown of those secretions and how they're manifesting their qualities. And there's a real, like, uh, measurable change in their makeup that their children will acquire. So we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and what they represented and the qualities that they acquired and thus perpetuated to their children. And even us today, you know, we're talking about 100 and maybe seven or eight generations since, since Abraham, you still can sense that Jews are different because of the qualities that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob incorporated into their lives. Uh, we, find in, um, we find in the, uh, in the book of Chapters of Our Fathers. Chapters of Our Fathers. Ten generations from Adam to Noah. Ten generations from Noah to Abraham. Okay, fine. So you count the generations. You go to Genesis. You count. Okay, Noah had this child, and then his child, grandchild, great grandchild. Oh, Abraham. Fine, fantastic. Ten generations from Noah to Abraham. The very next Mishnah says as follows: There are ten. Abraham, our forefather. So it adds another another description, another uh, another suffix to his name. He's no longer Abraham. Abraham, our forefather, was tested with ten, with ten tests. So the commentaries ask, why does it suddenly change Abraham from being just Abraham, ten generations from Noah to Abraham, to ten generations from Noah, uh, to ten tests no, Abraham, our forefather, was tested in? And the answer, because the tests that Abraham was presented with, the tests, the challenges that our forefathers had to overcome, that incorporated into their DNA, so to speak, and that was passed on to their children. Thus, these tests, it, with regards vis-a-vis these tests, Abraham is not just Abraham, he's Abraham our forefather. Because we connect to him via these tests. We are living examples of his overcoming of these qualities. You know, we talk about uh, Isaac, right? So Isaac, Abraham and Isaac, they were faced with the binding of Isaac. Isaac says, I want to give my life for God. Martyrdom. Jews have excelled at martyrdom throughout the generations, which is obviously unfortunate, and it's actually reflective of the kind of environment we live in. But you look at the history of the uh, auto de fe's in, uh, in 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 Spain and Portugal, and you know the history of the pogroms, and just the very long history of martyrdom that we have in, uh, amongst our communities. Uh, and you and you wonder, like. Giving up your life is a big deal. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a big deal. Yet somehow, Jews have, throughout the centuries, 
been very, receptive is the wrong word, but very heroic in their martyrdom. Where does that come from? Perhaps that comes from Abraham and Isaac saying, "Where Abraham saying, I'm going to give my life for this idea. Isaac following suit. And that was incorporated into their into the in, 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 into their into their uh, DNA, and thus we have it today. And we don't know because you know we well, remember when you have your own perspective, you don't can't imagine anyone else having a different perspective. We'll talk a little more about that later. But where does it come from? It comes from our forefathers instilling this passion, this uh, belief that is so strong that we're willing to give up our life from for it. And that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't seem so super logical, but that's something that we have, and we're very proud of that. We got that from our forefathers. We talk about it even today. Secular Jews, Jews have nothing to do with Judaism. No, Jews that are distant from Judaism. What do we find? What 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 are the qualities that define the modern Jew today? Millennials, talk about just twenty five year old kids, punks with uh, mustaches and scarfs, right? <laughs> they, they, they don't they don't go to shul. Unfortunately, we know that as, as you know, all shuls across uh, America are suffering because they don't go to shul. Uh, they don't necessarily marry Jewish. They don't fast Yom Kippur, but they're Jewish. And you look at their interests, you look at their passions, you look at what they care for, what they uh, what, what they uh, uh, picket and protest for. What do they demonstrate in their lives? Changing the world, tikkun olam, helping the unfortunate, being tolerant. Like these are qualities of the Abrahamic way of life, and and they're acting as Jews. And they're railing uh, against injustice as Jews, but it's coming from within. It's innate. It's it, you know, it's 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 deep, deep down within. Even we talk, even we talk about you know, on a totally different sphere. We talk about uh, how um, you know Jews are entrepreneurial. I don't want to get down this, this this discussion, but it seems very clear. Every time there's a new app or a new this or a new that to change the world, there's always a Jew at the helm, always, and that's the reality. Whether I mean, it, it's just it's just a fact. Uh, what it means is 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 debatable, but it's just a fact. Perhaps, perhaps this quality of being driven to change the world comes from Abraham as well. What did Abraham do? Abraham had an idea that was a radical idea that changed the world, and Abraham didn't listen to the naysayers. Perhaps this same quality of having a radical idea that's going to change the world, and not listening to naysayers, was transmitted to his children. Those Jews today, even though they represent a microscopic size uh, in the demographics and population, but they're outspoken in this particular quality because they're Jewish, and Jews have certain innate qualities. Rabbi, can I add yes. an interesting perspective uh, on that? And I mean, the, what you, particularly what you just said about the Jews uh, who, um, uh, you know, who couldn't care less about being going to the observance, but yet they couldn't care less. Yes. Injustice. And yes. Yeah, but a lot of them are also just out there playing video games and playing. Of course, know, and, and of course, that. of course, of course. You know, That's true. That's true. But, uh, they're not mindful okay. uh, of that. But, but go ahead. But how I would, what I was getting at, I, I don't want to. I'm not trying to change the subject. I'm really just trying to see if this is a relevant comparison. What about? I think distortions of Islam. Uh, well, maybe this because there's martyrdom in Islam too. Okay, and yet, how do you distinguish between the martyrdom you just described that's Jewish and the martyrdom that somebody is willing to give their life for 72 virgins and all this other stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, that's martyrdom too, isn't it? That's, and, and how, how, dare I say this, 
Where does Islam come from? Judaism. No, Judaism no, no, no. Well, yes, ideologically, but where do they come? Yeah, they they're linked to Ishmael, and you will look at Ishmael being not Jewish, but also following the Abrahamic tradition of teaching monotheism to the world. And we look at Edom, who is from Esav, who brought about Rome and eventually uh, the Roman the Roman uh, Christianity. As you know, this is Maimonides writes about this, where our you know kind of uh, lesser halves, or not lesser half, but our um, uh, siblings, if you will, our cousins, as being also influenced by Abraham to change the world and to, or to bring to bring the world is these ideas I mean, we're all and being partners with us. Yes, we're all three Abrahamic. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm not going to say this, but I'm. Not, I, 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 it won't shock me uh, if there's some legitimacy to that idea where people willing to give up their lives for what they believe in is uh, is something which is demonstrated by uh, by Muslims. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I don't but believe it's out of the, the question to say that. Also doing it because of poor. So okay, so what we can have this whole argument. So you know, where's this, the difference? I mean, is it? Are they just? Is, are well, they leaving out the kindness part, or because it's horrible? But remember, even even is, even is, even Islam, they they have um, one of the one of the um, one of the crowning qualities of of the Islamic world or the Arabic world at large is hospitality. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, right. uh, despite our, you know, come into my tent. Yeah, yeah, like that's a big deal. In 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 yeah. yeah so we have our issues, of course, but I don't. I, I'm not willing to reject the idea of 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 Islam, especially of Arab, you know, Arabian Islam or Arabs in general, uh, being also influenced by by their antecedents, uh, you know. In, in Abraham, but what, what does it say about what does it say? What does it say about Islam? Oh, not Islam. So what does it say about Ishmael in the Torah? He is going to be made into a mighty nation. And that's right. And but he's also a, a total uh, lunatic, right? He's a he's a para adam. He's just a wild person. He's wild. He's he he has Abrahamic qualities, but they're not they're they're not harnessed. You know, they don't, he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have. The, you know, the, something went awry. He, he's a little bit too much out there. You know, he's wild. He's violent. Okay. Yeah, but but I, I I do I do accept that as as him as they're the qualities of of of, of our cousins also being influenced in, in somewhat of a more moderate way uh, by by this idea. Yes, Is go ahead. martyrdom considered a good quality? A good quality? Yeah. Well, I'm yeah, it's kind of it's, listen, it's it's the kind of it's the kind of thing where we ha- we hope to never be presented. With a situation where we'll have to choose between God, our faith, you know, Torah, and and our lives, it's very unfortunate. However, uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So, so I'm just, you're right. So we talk about we look at at, at my at my monies. Just wait, how does he start off his book? He starts off his book by talking about theology. Four chapters of theology. Right. What do we what do we mean by when we say God? You know, description. You know, what do we talk about? Theology. Four chapters, and that uh, is under the heading of. Pillars of the Torah, foundations of the Torah, Yesodia Torah. Right? Obviously, it's the first because it's the most important. What's the very first thing he talks about? God believe in God. Okay. What's the very next thing that he talks about after God? Chapter number five in Pillars of the Torah is Kiddush Hashem, right? Which means sanctifying God's name, which is the epitome of, or, or just the 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 apex of what a human could do in 
in, in, in their responsibility, we talk about Tikkun Olam, as fixing the world or being demonstrating to the world that God exists, the greatest way we can do that is by sanctifying God's name. And the highest level of that would be where someone actually dedicates their entire life to this idea. And he talks about, uh, you know, the great Jewish heroes uh, who gave up their lives uh, for what they believed in. Yes, we would like to avoid that. That's a very bad situation. But those are the heroes uh, that have taught us, taught the world the most uh, about God. And, and thus, yes, it's, it's, the, you know, it's this situation where we hope to never be, but we declare every day in the Shema that we'll love our God with all our soul, even if it takes our soul away from us. So Rabbi Akiva, the great hero of, 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 of the, uh, uh, of the uh, second century, right? What did he say? He said, hey, if uh, Hadrian tells me I can't study Torah and I can't teach Torah, what do I tell him? I say, listen, a Jew without Torah is like a fish without water. I'm teaching Torah anyhow. And what did they do to him? They punished him in a, or they, they killed him. They executed him in a horrible, gruesome way. But who's Rabbi Akiva today? What does he teach us today? And what did he say at the time? At the time where he's being flayed alive, right? What do they tell him? Well, what's he telling his students? He's so delighted. I can finally fulfill this wonderful mitzvah that I have declared every day to love God with all my soul. So yes, of course, it's tragic. But on the other hand, uh, it's a great manifestation of, 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 of sanctifying God's name. Either way, uh, this is stage two of our kindness, where uh, our kindness is, is not only... Uh, something we do to just coexist, it's, it's, a, it's a positive quality that we have embedded within ourselves that naturally, innately, Jewishly, we do good. We, we do charity. We have charitable organizations. We help uh, 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 fighting injustice, helping the poor, etc. Number three, kindness. Why do we do kindness? What's the motivation behind kindness? So it could be in multiple levels. We could do kindness. Well, listen, someone else has a need. So I see another human who has a need, and I want to help them. I see some community that needs help. I want to help the community. I see a country in Africa that's suffering. I want to help them. It could be very much an interpersonal thing, a caring of one human for another. That's fantastic. I'm not trying to, uh, to belittle that at all. However, the motivation of why we do kindness can be uplifted to a higher level. We could do kindness because it's what God wants. Wait, wait, what's God have to do with this? We're talking about two people, right? We interact with other people. Yes, but the Torah tells us God wants us to do it as well. If we take this motivation uh, of why we do kindness uh, and take it from being just about helping people to fulfilling God's wisdom or God's instruction, we elevate the kindness from being merely something that's societal to something which is fulfilling the will of God. It takes it and it transforms. So I'll give you, guys, give you guys some idea here of what I mean here. Honoring parents. Ten commandments. Commandment number five, honor your parents. This is a mitzvah that makes sense. In fact, it makes sense more than any other mitzvah. Who does more for us than our parents? Absolutely nobody. Absolutely nobody. Thus, it makes sense when someone does the law of reciprocity, tells us. If someone does good to you, it makes sense to do good to them. And in fact, who do we find in the scriptures that excelled at honoring parents? Esau. Esau. 
Esau was remarkable in honoring parents. He would go out and, you know, commit uh, sins of uh, 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 atrocious sins. Comes home and he's there with his father. We thought on this. We thought Abraham, uh, Esau, even superseding uh, Jacob, his righteous brother, uh, in in kindness, I mean, in honoring parents. What were the Esau? What because he hunted? That was well. Yeah. Well, it says that uh, the Talmud says that he he committed really atrocious sins like like, uh, like uh, rape. Uh, adultery, That's not murder. In the Torah, is it? Well, it's it's referenced in the Torah. It's not it's not, it's not explicitly in the Torah. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, Asaph comes back from the forest and he's tired. He's weak. What is the, what is the Torah tells us? Someone's tired. What what makes someone tired? Sin. Whatever the Torah says, the word tired. It's a reference to sin. Have excessive Maybe I'm saying that, that that's a surface level of reading, but but you know the Torah was telling us on a spiritual level he was tired. He was his soul was weakened. Why wouldn't they use the word sin? You know what? I've been tired. troubled by it for. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand why. We why we can't call a spade a spade? You know? Yes. Well, thank you. Why don't you just say you continually <laughs> misses the mark? Why do you always say sin? Everything represents something else. Because it means the same thing. No, it doesn't. But the you yourself say it means the same thing. The Torah itself says, hate means missing the mark or sinning. Either way, he was doing things that he shouldn't have done. Because he missed the mark, because he sinned, whatever. Uh, but that, but that, you know, that's what I mean. When the Torah tells us that he was, uh, that he was tired, his soul was tired. His soul was weakened. <laughs> Why? Because of, because, of, because of the misdeeds that he hath committed. On a continual. Uh, but that particularly that that episode it says that he did five specific sins uh, at that one that one day. Either way, but he was outstanding in this in the, in his honor of his parents because even someone who doesn't have a spiritual centric way of 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 acting interpersonally makes sense. It's fair. It, 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 it's 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 only right. It's only natural for someone to uh, feel the uh, the gratitude and appreciation for their parents and honor them. But doesn't he not become the leader of the Edomites? Yeah. And they eventually uh, disappear. Well, they didn't disappear. They were rebranded. We, we talk about the about Rome and Christianity being their uh, spiritual descendants. Yeah. Now, the Talmud says, this is a doppelganger, by the way, for kindness. Talmud says, how far do we have to go in our kind, in our honoring parents? What's the extent of how uh, of, of how detailed or how dedicated we have to be to, to honoring our parents? So it says, as as dedicated as Dama Benesina, this Gentile whose name was Dama Benesina, who lived in Ashkelon, he is the model of, of he is the paragon of honoring parents. He gives stories about his father. He had tons of money, or he he had a great business deal, but his father was sleeping on the key to the safe, uh, and he didn't wake, wake up his father, so he gave up on the big big deal. And another story that he was once uh, sitting with with the honored people of Rome, and his mother came and started spitting at him, and she took his money and she and wallet and threw into the wood, threw into the ocean. All these stories, and how he didn't he he didn't embarrass her. This great gentile. Paragon of honoring parents. Wait a minute, we're reading the story of a Gentile? What? We couldn't find some Jew? We couldn't find some Jew who excelled in, in, in honoring parents? We had to go to the Gentile? Talmud says, how far do we have to go? Us Jews, we have a mitzvah, honoring parents. What's the extent? Oh, you know what? There's a Gentile who was very remarkable. Okay, I'm sure there's some Jews that were also remarkable about that as well. Perhaps what the Talmud's telling us is that this is something which is very natural. 
even Gentiles who don't have the, the mitzvah perspective, not thinking about God at all, it's natural to honor your parents that did more for you than anyone else. Hold up, hold up thought for a second. The Talmud asked the question, this guy, Dhamma Benesina, <laughs> this great Gentile who honored his parents, he was rewarded for honoring his parents. How was he rewarded? What did he, what did he, uh, uh, what did he receive? Talmud says, yeah, listening. He received a red heifer amongst his flock. What's a red heifer? Red heifer is a is a is actually an orange cow. If you go to the if you go to the very rare. Uh, well, they're not so rare because if you go to the rodeo, you'll see red cows. They're not red; they're actually like burnt orange. Uh, but what's very rare about it is where they cannot have any other hairs. They can't, so they can't have, have two black, black hairs, hairs or two or nothing. two white hairs. And Thomas and they kind of have a yoke that was put upon them, and they and and what they what they do is they're slaughtered and they're burned. Their ashes are used for a very special a mixture that that is needed in the temple. Isn't there some uh, something that says the next time you see the red heifer, it foretells the Messiah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of details about that, but the red heifer is always presented as the model for a mitzvah that's a chok, that's a statute that we don't know the reason for it. Talmud tells of Solomon, the wisest of all men, who was praying to God, explain to me this idea of red heifer. We're going to use the red heifer to purify the, the, the people that have come in contact with the dead people. Such a bizarre mitzvah, something that which is totally beyond human comprehension. He did the mitzvah, which makes the most sense. His reward is that he got a red heifer, which is the mitzvah that makes the least sense to us. What is the lesson the Torah is telling us? The Torah is telling us that for God, from God's perspective, or even from our perspective, these mitzvahs are the same. It's, it's, it's commensurate to his mitzvah of honoring parents. He received the reward of receiving a red heifer. Even though they're diametrically opposite from human intelligence. But when we do the mitzvah of honoring our parents, we could either do it because it makes sense, or we can do it because God instructed us to do it. Just like the red heifer, which we do solely because God instructed us to do it. Thus, perhaps with kindness as well, we have a certain inclination, a certain uh, innate, natural desire or, or, or uh, reason to do it. Fantastic. We can elevate that by saying we're doing it because God instructed us to do it. We're not doing it because we, because we feel motivated to help someone else or feel motivated or feel innately a need to do good. We're doing it because God instructed us. That elevates uh, uh, the kindness to being spiritual as well. Is That's that number three. Feeling good? Huh? Do something kind because it makes you feel good. Well, yeah. Uh, or or, or, or it, it writes a wrong. Right, right. God told me to do it. That's, that's the only reason why I'm doing it. Just like the red heifer. Just. Moving on to the last one. What's the highest level of kindness? What, what is the kindness that is totally transformational? That's going to change our entire perspective of life, and it's going to be this catalyst for growth. Giving your life for somebody else. Yeah, well, that's 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 a very high degree of kindness, but it's not a different. It's not a, it's not a different kind. It's not a different kind of kindness. It's just a more of a dedication towards kindness. It means it, it's Very more kindness. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a different kind. Burying the dead. Well, that's also burying dead is it, yes, but what's what's a what's a what's a an idea or a doing uh, good for the sake. Okay, okay. Let's talk about this a little bit. Is, is anything that we do absolutely? Oh, uh, we've had this debate. Oh, okay, sorry. This, this has been absolutely. debated ad nauseum. Altruistic. Altruistic. 
is always a self serving uh, Yes, go ahead. I'm looking for a kindness that changes a person entirely. It's, it's a transformational called paradigm shift where you're one human, you're now a different human via kindness. Let's see how that works. I, I, you guys are saying examples of kindness. I'm talking about on a deeper it would be level. Understanding your own divinity. You guys are being too spiritual for me. <laughs> Let's dumb this down for people like me. <laughs> Let, let's look at some examples of kindness um, uh, and how the Torah presents it, and and see what the what the idea being, and how perhaps this could be a just a um, uh, create a, uh, a shift, uh, a transformational shift in who we are as humans. That's what I'm looking for. That Not examples of kindness from the fact that we all have a spark of the divine. Right? Well, we are divine creatures having a physical experience. Uh, right. Okay. I know the but, high school of Siddhartha. Giving that's fantastic. That's right. Yeah. Or giving up your life, uh, or uh, all the examples that were there. Uh, but I want to look at, at the technically what happens to a person when they have this level of kindness. Let's let's look at some examples here. So we find obviously Abraham. Let's put Abraham aside for a second here. Uh, but Abraham has a son Isaac. Isaac never leaves Israel. Isaac is the only one of the forefathers that never leaves Israel. With Abraham being born outside of Israel, coming to Israel, Isaac being born and staying, remaining his entire time in Israel, God tells him he cannot leave Israel. Uh, Jacob is born in Israel, but obviously travels out of Israel multiple times. Right, wants to go find a spouse, and then wants to go to Egypt uh, towards the end of his life. So Isaac doesn't leave Israel, but he needs a spouse. And God tell uh, uh, Abraham tells his uh, his uh, uh, his servant Eliezer, "I want you to go swear to me." The whole thing. Go to uh, my family uh, east and find a spouse from from my family to for Isaac to marry. So he travels. He got the ten camels. Talked about the camels last week, right? The camels. Oh, that's anachronistic. Well, no, it isn't. Uh, oh, we proved it. No, you didn't. Um, so he takes the ten. Ca- take, Eliezer takes ten camels and he goes and he ends up at the uh, at the well and he starts praying and he has this idea of what kind of spouse we're looking for. And what does he say? He says, I want the girl, I'm going to do a test for the girl. Go ahead. She has to be kind. How is her kindness going to be demonstrated? I'm going to ask her for water. Give me some water. And she's going to say, I'll give you water, but also I'll do something that you did not ask me to do. I'm going to feed the camels. And indeed, what happens Rach, uh, uh, Rebecca comes out and she has the little picture and she goes and he w- walks over to her. He seems to be drawn to her uh, and he says, give me some water. He says, sure. And she gives him water. And he says, oh, by the way, I'm not giving you water. I'll give the camels water as well. And she runs back and forth, back and forth, feeds all the camels. Fantastic. He gets all excited. He gives her all the jewelry. And then he says, well, whose family are you? And he's like, oh, I'm actually the family of Abraham. I'm the daughter of Basuel, who's um, I'm Isaac's actually first cousin. And he's fantastic. He thanks the Almighty. And, he, and then he goes and the whole episode back and forth. But this was the one criteria, or the one, uh, uh, the one test that was provided to Rebecca. And once she passed the test, we knew she is fit to be the matriarch of our people, one of the matriarchs of our people, and the spouse of Isaac. And she chooses. Yeah, she chooses, right. This is the one test. So there's a few ways to go with this. The simplest way is, listen, Abraham is a family of kindness. Jewish people are built in kindness. Really important that she has kindness. 
That's one point uh, before we even get started. Okay, granted. What kind of kindness was he looking for? What was the definition of the kindness that Eliezer was seeking? It wasn't what we would call kindness of just doing good for someone else. It was a perspective that he asked her for one thing, but he really wanted something else that he did not ask her, but he could, she would only see it if she had that perspective. I see someone who asks me for something. If I have my perspective on life, if I'm self-centered, if I focus on myself, if I don't imagine life in someone else's shoes, if I don't ask myself what do they actually need, if I just am presented on, on a face value, you need some water? Oh, sure. Here's some water. Give him the bottle of water. Fantastic. That's not a kind person, according to the Torah. A kind person is someone who has a vision of life of someone else. Someone who does not live within their own little cocoon of their own mind, of their own life, of their own body, of their own experiences. Someone who opens up their heart, opens up their life, opens up their, open, opens up their vision, and sees someone else. I see you, you're asking for something. On face value, what would most of us do? Of course, weary travelers, they must be so thirsty. Let's give them, here's, here's water that you asked for. You failed the test. You fail the test, not because you're a bad person, but because you don't have this transformational quality. It's more than that. It's a vision. It's a way of life. It's a perspective where, where it's not just you, you treat the information not just as it comes, but you see what someone else is going through without even being told about it. What's yours is yours and what mine is yours if you need it. Or I see what you need. Yes. I see what you're I going see through. What you need. I see it without being told. I see life from your lens. I take off my glasses. I put on yours. What are you seeing? What do you need? What do you encounter? Thus, I'm living life basically in your shoes. That, that's essentially what he said. It's a great story. I might have said this before, so apologize. Uh, actually, when I spoke to the kids there a couple, couple of months ago, I told them this story. And it's actually uh, relevant to our, uh, uh, to our upcoming holiday of Passover. So once... In, Rabbi gets a knock on the door the day before Passover. Once again, if you heard the story, I apologize for repeating it. It's a little fantastic story. He gets a knock on the door, and the guy tells him, listen, one of his constituents, how you doing? Welcome in. I have a question, a halakha question about, about Passover. I want to know, we know he drink four cups of wine, can't afford the wine, can I have four cups of milk? Can he, can he drink four cups of milk for the, for, for, for the wine, for, 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 the, for the Seder? He says, well... I don't know, he goes to the board, so he finds it. No, you can't. But here's some money. He gives him a size, size, size all amount of money. Fine, the guy leaves. Now, the rabbi's wife, she's a little bit more on top of the finance. She says, wait a minute. He needs four cups of wine. He needs basically a bottle of wine. Call two bottles. You gave, that costs, you know, I don't know, $26. You gave him $126. Why do you give him so much more money? The rabbi tells her, from his question, I deduce that he doesn't have meat either for his meal. Because if he's considering to drink milk, clearly he doesn't have meat. So I gave him enough money for wine plus meat for the meal. My grandfather will always use this story as an example of someone who has this perspective on life. Not being told the guy doesn't have meat, just being talked about is, is, is the wine. That's all that was presented on the surface level. If we have this transformative quality, we don't just take the information and see from our perspective. 
we see it from their perspective. We analyze the world with someone else's perspective. We really get into the nitty-gritty of what someone else is going through. We ask ourselves, what does this person really need? If we have that, then we see it's clear he doesn't have meat. Of course I gave him money for the meat. His wife says, wait a minute, he asked for wine, give him wine. He says, no, 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 he asked for wine, but I can tell that he needs meat as well. That's an example of, a, 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 of kindness that is transformational. It's just a, a, a different way of seeing the world. We are born as little kids. All we see is ourselves. All we care about is ourselves. All we focus on is, is ourselves. If I want something, that's all I care about. And I'm going to scream to it until I get it. You know, when, we, when we relate to another, as an adult, yes, go ahead. When we relate to another person, you're always thinking of, thinking of, not necessarily in kindness, but just in general, you're thinking of their perspective. Hopefully. When, even if you disagree with them, you're thinking, you know. But, yeah, but thinking about an idea. From their right, but thinking of an idea is different. This is a deeper level. It's thinking what some are going through. Their life. I'm digging in much deeper. Not just, we're having an argument. Okay, let's hear your perspective. It's more than that. I see someone, I say, why are you in a bad mood? How can I help you? We all know, have you ever had the feeling of being in a rusty mood but no one notices? You're like, yeah. someone should ask me, like, look at me. My face is like just, I'm in a miserable mood. But no one seems to care because people are living in their own lives and they don't even notice someone else is going through some... some well, I guess in somebody... How are you feeling today? You don't want to know how they're feeling. You're just trying to say fine. Yeah, you're like, yeah, it's just a, it's a perfunctory uh, nicety, you, you know? Um, so so, so that's, that's the idea. It's, it's, it's not just seeing an idea from the perspective and valuing it in your, in, in your own mind, your own, in your own intelligence. It's seeing the entire world. What is someone going through? Really digging into someone else's life. Now, that's a great story about the... About, about the uh, but I have another story that I just heard it this week. I think it's a fantastic story. Uh, Rabbi Shloman Zalman Orbach was one of the uh, uh, one of the great halachists who lived in Israel in 1995. And he was renowned for his just uh, wisdom and sensibility. So, so um, this couple came to to him, and they uh, they just had a brand new baby boy, and they had a disagreement as to what to name the child. Briss is. Uh, the, uh, the circumcisions have come and they have to find a name. The husband wants to give the name Yonason. Jonathan, Yonason. Now the wife, she tells the rabbi, listen, uh, we have a neighbor upstairs uh, who had a child whose name was Yonason who died, you know, in, 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 their, in, in their, you know, they were seven, eight years old, they died tragically. I think it's a bad omen, you know, to have in the same building another Yonason. So the rabbi considers it and tells him, Okay, I agree with the wife. Find some other name. So, okay, fine. A few weeks later, this husband meets the rabbi again and tells him, what's the deal? Like, someone had some, some bad omens? We don't believe in omens. We were Jews. You know, we don't believe in this whole heebie-jeebie stuff. Bad karma? Well, what does this mean? Like, you know, what's going on? So he said, what's going to be? The kids are going to grow up. You know, it's not about omens at all. Kids are going to grow up. He's going to be a kid, five, six, seven years old. And what's when he's... Time for dinner. Yonasan, time for dinner. Who's going to hear that? Mm. Neighbor upstairs is going to hear that. And her heart's going to ache. Mm. The pain of hearing her own son's name being called and her son's gone. I mean, this is another great example. It's like, what would someone else encounter? The pain that, that is it's not, it's not even there. It's a, but someone else might be pained. And I'm thinking about what everyone else needs. Not just about what was presented in front of me. 
a transformational way of seeing the world. Now, Rebecca was uh, was tested if she had this quality. Perhaps it was just about, you know, she's going to be the mother of the Jewish people. She's going to have to have this transformation. That's one idea. I think perhaps in marriage, in our, in our lives, in marriage, we're going to need this quality as well. We're going to need to see what our spouse is going through. We cannot live marriage if we we cannot live and have a happy, harmonious, and integrated marriage, wherein each spouse is living their own lives. They just happen to you know intersect for uh, uh, you know for they happen to just uh, both have a uh, uh, intersection. Of, uh, uh, they're each individuals who happen to uh, collide and coexist. Integration on a deeper level in marriage is contingent on each one of them a little bit compromising on their own self-view and self-focus uh, uh, and selfishness and opening up the door to let someone else in. Of changing their identity, of, of melding their lives in someone else's lives. I had a student of mine recently text me uh, that she just recently got married and it seems like uh, they're having a big, big, big Big Titanic fight about what? What could possibly be at the you know first you know has six months? He's clueless. Well, that's what you would think. What are they fighting about? (laughs) They're fighting about she really wants a cat, and he says he doesn't like cats, and she says, "Well, he promised me that we'll have a cat." And he says, no, I never promised. He's like, well, 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 he said he loves cats. Well, he says, no, I didn't say that. You know? And she says, I cannot live without cats. I have to, I have text, actually. But, like, it, it's like, in the text, she's saying, I grew up with a cat. I can't imagine raising kids without cats. I can't imagine. You know? And he says, oh, I'll give you a goldfish. Like, no, no, no. It's the, and I'm, and to me, I'm reading this. I'm like, she's like, I don't think I want to have kids with someone like this. What essentially is happening is these are two people who do not have this quality. Thus, she needs a cat. He says, no cat. None of them are seeing each other's perspective. None of them are actually living life with the other people's shoes on. What happens, you know? I don't know what that... Whatever, but he's not giving it to her. And and to me, this is an example of someone who does not have even a smidgen of Rebecca of the Rebecca quality. Of imagine what someone else is going through. Neither of them have it. Neither of them have it. One of them has. You're not saying one is right and one is wrong. No, then none of them have. I I don't. I don't think it's about the cat. I think the cat is probably just one manifestation. I think the cat could, you know, could become a tiger. Yeah. Become a bigger cat, and you know. There's more. Uh, there's more cats out there. <laughs> it's not the only cat in the cage. So how do you resolve that? I don't think it's about resolving. <laughs> yes, I, I think it's about well, if that couple. If we're ready. They're having that kind of. I know this isn't necessarily a subject, but if that. Couple I, 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 I said to them, listen. You know, you have to find some sort of compromise. I said, listen. He goes out in business. She feels lonely. I said, get a cat. This is one of my suggestions. I thought it was it was brilliant. Get a cat. <laughs> Uh, he's he's in Miami four days a week. Say, say again. What? He's in Miami four days a week. He's away. Oh, okay. He's away. So she's all alone. Wait, did, did he say 
You know, I say get the cat and then put the cat in the uh, in the uh, in one of the uh, pet homes, whatever. During those three days, everyone wins. She has the cat. All right, how did he? So was was that whatever? I don't know why I have to follow up with it, but but to me, it's not about the cat. To me, it's 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 a it's a proof. It's a demonstration. Especially he's away four days a week. But it's not about that. It's about in life and especially in marriage. Even to have a measure of coexistence, not from a great person like Rebecca. I'm not talking about Abraham, Rebecca, those kind of people. Not even to achieve greatness. To have coexistence, to have harmony in marriage, you are going to have to live life to a certain sense in someone else's shoes to adopt their perspective on life. That is the only way to have coexistence if you don't have that. And then maybe that's why the Torah told us the great detail of, 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 of Eliezer and how, what he did to seek a spouse. Perhaps it wasn't just about Rebecca. Perhaps it's a lesson to us. When we want to have good marriages, we're going to have to adopt this quality. It means it's not just about becoming great, transforming ourselves. Into, it's about living life and having a happy marriage. Something we all want. You know, we, We're going to need to learn this quality. And I think, I think uh, we talk about the very first marriage... Uh, Adam and Eve. So Eve is constructed from uh, from uh, from from Adam's rib Maybe. and whatever. That's what it says it, it, in, the, in the scripture. The second, that's the second, not the first thing. Right. Okay. Yes. There's a lot. There's a lot out there. But, but then it says says Adam Zosapam. This time it's a it's a bone for my bones. It's flesh for my flesh. This woman I should call a woman. She should be my wife. Fine. Fantastic. He's all excited. And there the Torah, the Torah goes on and says a PSA. PSA. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife that she become one flesh. It seems like Adam and Eve are presented as the model of, of a harmonious couple. Oh, they're so excited. It's flesh for my flesh. It's skin for it's, it's bone for my bone. Fantastic. Man shall leave his father and mother, cut the uh, the uh, the purse strings, right, and cleave to their wives, and and, and be become one flesh. It seems to be a little bit out of place. Like, first of all, what if the guy has been living out of the house? He left left at eighteen from college. He's not what we call the Yiddish mama's boy, right? He's his own man. He's independent. Leave his father and mother. I really love my father and mother. What kind of advice is this? Perhaps it's a little bit deeper here. The Torah is telling us. What did Adam say? This is flesh from my flesh. This is me. This is bones from my bones. This is me. Much deeper than just the, the build of how we constructed the body of the woman. It's much more than that. It's an idea of Adam saying, this is me. This, is, this woman is me. Torah stops. Let's stop the tape. Let's make an announcement. PSA. You should leave your father and mother. Father and mother is not just your parents. It's your perspective. It's your identity. It's what you grew up with. It's what you started life with. You start life with your father and mother. You start on a path of being selfish, of being self-centered, seeing the world from your perspective. You have to abandon that. Cleave to your wife. Follow Adam's lead. This is flesh from my flesh. I see the world from their, from their vision. I have the Rebecca, Rebecca quality of kindness. That's the way to have a successful marriage. It's not about leaving father and mother. It's much deeper. It's about, you shall be one. What does it mean, be one? It means when they see, I see. When they suffer, I suffer. Their pain is my pain. That's instructive for us to, to, to just to have positive marriages. 
Adam and Eve did not have the most harmonious of marriages. Read further on in the book. <laughs> it did go south uh, to a certain sense. However, there's some of the, the, the lesson that they have uh, for all eternity uh, that's very valuable for us. But this is, once again, based upon this perspective that Rebecca taught us, that is this transformational perspective on life, seeing the world differently, that's the key to our marriage. So, once again, uh, um, I think when we talk about this quality, it's obviously something that's going to change our lives. However, it's necessary. It's necessary because if we want to have successful marriages, successful relationships, it's going to be contingent on this point. Can it get... Split hairs on this, but it says cleave to your wife. But is that by implication? Because it isn't it a two way street? I think that's what you're saying. Come on, but it's come on. So okay, so it's not. So I but I have to say, however, the wife cleaves to. The yes, however, I uh, I have a controversial opinion alert here. So if you don't <laughs> like controversy, it's not so controversial. I, I can't. I'm not interested. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I think that perhaps what the Torah is telling us from Adam's perspective, perhaps it's more conditional on the man being malleable of the man opening up than the woman, because if the, the, the woman is more likely to uh, to to respond to his lead. So that's controversial. I promise you'll be. Is I that controversial? Wow, 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 no, I, I just overtones? yeah, well, not chauvinistic overtones, but like more of a traditional perspective on marriage. Uh, than than maybe the new age. Yeah, okay. What is the Hebrew word? The davak. Davak. Is there another word for that word? It means to glue or to cleave. Cleave is the right word. Uh, But I I think that um, if a man is going to step up to the plate, most likely a woman will follow. And if the man is going to be... It means... And there's other sources that seem in Jewish, in Jewish literature, in Jewish. A woman was designed to be a helpmate, right? So she's going to be a reflection of, of 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 his his dedica- her dedication to be a reflection of his dedication. If he's the one who's not willing to invest, she probably won't invest either, or maybe she will, but she won't have the same. You know, the she's not. She, yeah, she's not. She, you know, it's it's in his hands, so to speak. You know, traditionally we talk about the man having the responsibility in the marriage. Uh, Rights versus responsibilities. The man always had the responsibilities because he was the one that set the tone. I said it's controversial. It's not super controversial, but I, I you know, I think that that's probably also. Um, but I, it is a two-way street, of course. Um, but perhaps that's the reason why it's in the retrospective. Either way, we talk about the key to successful marriage. I think that lies within uh, within this uh, within this within this uh, character trait. Um, let's let's move on to faith. I think that this quality is essential for faith as well. How so? So we find in the Talmud a very bizarre um, connection. Very bizarre. And that is of faith, not faith, of, of fear of heaven, yira, fear of heaven, having a serious relationship with God on one hand, and kindness. Kindness is between man and man. Kindness is interpersonal. Kindness is being gregarious, being uh, ebullient, uh, being uh, uh, friendly to someone else. That's what kindness is about. Yira is fear, serious, and a relationship man to God. It doesn't seem that they have much overlap. Yet the Talmud says if you have one, you have the other. You have, you have, Talmud puts them in the same basket. What, pray tell, 
does kindness have to do with fear of God or having a serious relationship with God? So I think perhaps, um, perhaps the lesson is as follows. Perhaps faith and kindness are both rooted in the same quality in the person. We talked about man. Man starts off life being super self-centered. When someone is in a sealed, hermetically sealed room, all they see is themselves. They don't see anything out. There's no window to, the, to, to what, what exists outside. They crack a little hole in this. What do they see? They see the entire world. They see the, sun, the sun, the stars, the skies, the earth, the trees, everything. Right. Breaking our facade, or not facade, breaking our barriers, opening up the doors to our own heart is going to open up the world to us for everything else. When we live and focus only on ourselves, we don't see our fellow man. We don't see our fellow man. We don't see God. Kids are born with a certain uh, hamper. I'm going to get pampers as well. But they're, they're hampered in their ability to have faith. Because when, when man is only focused on themselves, they don't see God. If God is not on their radar whatsoever. They don't see God. They don't see man. The same thing, the same negative quality that withholds us, that prevents us, that precludes us from having faith, precludes us from having kindness as well. Once we open up the door to one, we open up the door, the door to the other as well. Thus, faith and kindness in, 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 in this uh, phase, in this degree of kindness, uh, in this uh, plateau of kindness, wherein it's opening up your heart to others, that same window will let faith as well into your heart. Abraham is the father of our faith. Abraham is the father of monotheism. Abraham is the first one that thought of this idea on his own. Abraham is the one who eschewed the pagan, the ritualistic pagan, the, uh, uh, the uh, polytheistic world that he emerged in. He rejected that. And he taught us about faith. And he's the one where the faith that we have today is, 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 is from Abraham. The faith that the entire world has today, essentially. Entire world. Most of the majority of the world is from Abraham. Open up the book. What does it say about Abraham? Nothing about faith, only about kindness. Remarkable. Abraham is presented in the book as kind, as kindness with those, with those travelers, as kindness with Lot, kindness with Sodom and Gomorrah, kindness everywhere you turn. How does, what does the Torah tell you about his relationship with Sarah? Um, it's, kindness. Yes. How does yeah, well, you look, what's another great example? We see that the, he wasn't on his own, right? Uh, Sarah was a great leader as well. She, you know, she, she was, in fact, the Torah tells us that God tells Abraham, whatever Sarah tells you, you should do, right? When he had the whole kerfuffle with, uh, with uh, Ishmael influencing Isaac, right? And, and the Talmud opens up with this discussion of Sarah rivaling Abraham in the degree of prophecy. You know, and how he should listen to her. She has a better perspective on it. So, you know, she, she was no, uh, no slouch. No, but in, I meant, I'm sorry, I meant in terms of the interpersonal. Does the Torah speak to that marriage? 
Well, we find you. We find we find out some things, you know, about uh, about their marriage. Um, yeah, I'm saying. Well, Abraham was the paragon of kindness. Chesed Lavram. He's called. That's the moniker that he's given. Um, of course, but they. I think. I think that they were. Um, they were united in that. You know, we talked about just that one episode that we find. Abraham is suffering from his uh, circumcision at the age of ninety-nine. He's sitting outside in the unbearable heat, and then before you know it, he has prophecy, and then a second later, you get three, the three uh, weary travelers. And he springs into action, and Sarah gets involved. He says, Sarah, make this, make that. And he goes, runs around, and before you know it, he presents him with this 18-course uh, meal. So she was, you know, she was also um, uh, remarkable in her kindness. We look at them as, as one unit entirely. Either way... Well, he, he had a hard time with it. Right, you know, he had a very hard time with it. That's that's uh, one of the great challenges that Abraham faced. Well, was it him that un- wasn't it Sarah? That he well, yes. Yeah, yeah, but he and he didn't want to do it. Yet God tells him you got to listen to what Sarah says. That's a whole a whole episode that that uh, is deserving of its own uh, its own examination carefully and thoughtfully. And he marries her again, right? Yes. Now. The Torah tells us Abraham's faith was manifest in kindness. Abraham is the paragon of both faith and kindness because at their core, they're linked. At the core of what happens to a person when they open up the door to faith or kindness is the same. They break out of their selfishness and they see the world. They see God, they see a man, they see everything. Thus, Essentially, what changes in a person, what transpires, what transforms in a person once they have this quality of the we call the Rebecca faith, is going to be transcendental, not only in, in kindness, but also in faith as well. Now, I want to add something else here. This is uh, leadership. What are we told about uh, Moses? Very first, some of the very first episodes we find out about Moses. So... Yeah, okay, fine. So he wasn't so charismatic. Uh, but his, what actions do we find? So the very first uh, beginning of, uh, of Exodus, chapter 2, verse 11, we find the following sentence. It happened in those days, and Moses grew up and went out to his brethren, and he saw their suffering. And he saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man of his brethren. Repeat the sentence. Moses grew up. He went out to see his brethren. He saw their suffering. And he saw an Egyptian man uh, striking a Jew. It says the word vayar, and he saw twice. He saw, he saw, he saw. What did he see? Asked the Midrash. What did he see? He's seeing all these things. What, what was he seeing when he saw the suffering? He, all the pressure, all the pressure. he saw a pattern. So this, I'll tell you what it says here. How did he know he was... Mal vayar, what did he see? Uh, he seems like he knew. He grew up. Remember, he grew. He, he grew up uh, with his mother, his biological mother, because he refused to nurse from anyone else. Remember that? It's not the same as in the movie when he found out later. Charles. I thought she was uh, put him. Often, in the movie doesn't exactly follow. I thought she put him. It's in not, the not movie. only based on a true story. It's a work of fiction. <laughs> Always read the book. Don't read to watch the movie. Right? What they say in school. Yes, that's we'll true. do both. <laughs> you know, one for entertainment. One for yes. Work. So, the major says as follows. What did he see? 
This is what he saw here. Uh, he saw their suffering. This is them just translating from the Midrash and the Midrash Rabbah. Uh, and he would cry, and he says, oh, so uh, if only I would die for you. Like, uh, there's nothing as difficult as, as working with cement. And he would go help them, and he would put his shoulder and help each and every one. That's the first opinion of what he saw. Okay, so they're suffering. Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Yossi Aglili. So what does he say? What, his interpretation of what he saw. What did he saw? He saw as follows. He saw a heavy load on a small person. He saw a small guy carrying a massive load. And he saw a big guy carrying a tiny little load. He saw it wasn't being super productive. He saw that the big guy is carrying a load, small load, which is very painful. You know, you got to carry something like carry, you know, take this pen and bring it there. Take that, that pen and bring it there. Like you, it's, not, it's not stimulating, it's not engaging. It's not maximizing their, their potential. And he saw a little guy struggling under a massive load. He saw the load intended for a man on a woman. The woman was there on the construction side. They're not saying women should do construction. Let's preempt all these questions. I'm just saying, he saw a woman doing a man's job, and he saw a man doing a woman's job. What that means, everyone fill in whatever you consider to be a woman's job. I'm experienced enough not to go down these little black holes, these dark alleys, that it's going to just take us off topic for maybe seven minutes. He saw the load of an old person on a young child. They saw the, the, the load of a young child, an old person. He saw the details. He didn't see suffering at large. He didn't see just general suffering. He saw details. This is a young guy. Well, he's doing something for an old person, old person, a young person. He saw every individual who he encountered. He saw what they were, what they ought to do, and what they were doing. He broke it down to a granular level. He, he, he exhibited the quality of Rebecca, noticing, having the vision of seeing what someone was going through. Details. And he, you know, what did he do about that? So what does the Almighty say? This Amar Tarshpah says the Almighty, you abandoned your dealings. Moses was a prince. He left his level. And you saw the suffering of the Jewish people? You treated them like brothers? I'm going to abandon the heavens and talk to you. Torah is telling us. God is announcing what, what did Moses do? What was the quality of Moses? What was the episode of Moses that made him worthy of this great leadership post? His internal sense of knowing. Of seeing. He saw what other people were going through. Even if he couldn't help them. He was a leader. Vayar is to see. And he saw, yes. The, the quality of a leader is to notice what the constituents are going through. To see what they're going through. Has a vision. Right? Maybe he couldn't help them. But he was not living within the four cubits of his own existence. He was experiencing life from someone else. He did not turn away. He didn't turn away, exactly. But, but not only that, he opened up his heart to others. Which goes back to what you said earlier, which is, you know, you have, in order to do kindness, you have to go. That's exactly others. right. My point is, is that this quality is the quality of kindness. It's the quality that makes marriages work. It's the quality of faith, and it's a quality of leadership. What happens? This is a a cute idea. I don't know if it's true or not, but I I like it. You guys will like it also, I hope. A little bit later, Moses Moses progresses. What does God tell him? What does he see? What's the first vision? What's the striking vision that Moses has? What does he see? He sees a burning bush. What does God tell him? Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Perhaps... 
I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe God's telling him, you should know, this leadership hinges on you taking off your shoes. I want you not to be wearing your own shoes or someone else's shoes. It's not just this idea of shoes. you got to experience life in someone else's shoes. Your shoes are demonstrative of your perspective. you got to take off your shoes. I don't know if anyone's ever tried this, wearing someone else's shoes. It's not super comfortable, right? You're like, you don't feel right when you wear someone else's shoes. Even when you're going like bowling and they have that just way of gouging you where you pay $3.75 for wearing the like a literally a $2 the shoe itself costs $2 and they spray it to you know to make sure that you're you don't get everyone else's athlete's foot or whatever but it's you know feels kind of slick and it doesn't feel right right your shoe is like kind of mold your your foot like you feel good in your own shoes not wearing someone else's shoes my kids like wearing like everyone else's shoes you know kids like it I don't know Perhaps at the deeper level, God's telling Moses, like you're about to start your leadership now. You should know the reason why you're the leader is because you have the quality of not wearing your own shoes. You take off your own shoes. I'm the prince. I'm walking around. What, what, what do I have to worry about? What do the prince do, right? Give them, eat, let them eat cake. Uh, they have no bread. They have no bread. Oh, give them cake. That's not a leader. A leader is the one who sheds his own shoes. I, I, I'm the prince. I'm walking around. I got my entourage. But what do I say? So you're suffering. You're, you're, you're a young person. You're doing an old person's job. You're a woman doing a man's job. You're a man doing a woman's job. You're, you're, you're a big guy, strong guy, doing a little weak. You're not being maximized. Everyone of their own suffering. Each of the all six people that encountered, this is your problem, this is your problem, this is your problem. Living life for someone else. That's the quality of Moses. That's why he was running the leadership. He took off his own shoes, and that's, and that's why he, uh, uh, was, that why he was uh, uh, selected for leadership. This remarkable quality of kindness. We're talking about kindness. It could mean a lot of different things. It's very important to have a functioning society. Without a functioning society, we have no kindness. As Jews, we're innately predisposed to having kindness from Abraham. Abrahamic uh, kindness. And that's, we're naturally driven to that. We elevate that a one step up by doing kindness, not because we feel like it, because it, it's good to someone else, because God instructed us. We transform the motivation behind the kindness to be not just about the other person, but be about God. We do kindness because it's what God tells us. Just like we honor parents for the same reason why we fulfill the red heifer. At the highest level, at the pinnacle of kindness, it's about changing who we are. A different person emerges. Is it about me? No. It's about me breaking this prison that we're all born into. You know, a small child rarely wakes up to tend to her crying mother. It doesn't happen like that. It's the opposite. We're set into this world on a path of absolute uh, uh, selfishness. Many of us, unfortunately, at the end of the road, we could be very old, and we're still the same. We're still a child inside. We haven't acquired this quality of, of Rebecca, seeing what other people are going through living life from their perspective. We have to emulate that. That's kindness. That's what's demanded of us. That's the kindness, by the way, that, would, that rivals Torah. That's the kindness that we're talking about, all those things. To love kindness. We mean to love kindness. To, to love kindness. What do we mean to love kindness? Do kindness. We don't love the kindness. Loving kindness is a higher level, not just doing kindness. It's a transformational way of changing, the, changing what you see. What does God demand of us? Do justice, love kindness, 
and 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 be and be modest. Walk uh, modestly or uh, with the Almighty. What, what does that mean? It does not mean just to act kind. Someone can act kind every day of their lives, but haven't changed who they are. Kindness, as in it rivaling Torah, in being the pillars, the bedrock of of our spiritual world, of being the pillars that will uphold the world, of being the thing that's going to grant us uh, atonement uh, in in place of the temple. Those kindnesses, it's not just about doing kindness, it's about being the kind person, about being a different person than you were presented in this world uh, as. Breaking a certain shell, Breaking out of a certain cocoon that we all are placed into. And once you do that, what will you have? You'll have a fantastic marriages. Guaranteed. No matter, no matter who your spouse is, if you do that, it's, it's transformational. Fantastic marriages. You'll be a kind person, of course, that's a misfun in its own right. You'll be a better person. You'll be a, a, you know, but a faith, true faith. If someone is super selfish, someone doesn't see others, they don't see God either. They may go to shul or whatever and support, and, and, and especially when everyone's watching, be very charitable, right? And, uh, and participate. In, but God's not really on the radar. Oh, well, they believe, yeah, of course. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I checked the box. I'm not, I'm not an atheist. All oh, those guys are whack jobs. <laughs> no, we're faith. But do they really have God in their lives? No. Is God really an influence in their lives? No. It's just about them. They're, just, they're, 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 they're little babies. That are uh, are more mature and have you know know how to be societally okay. If we want to have yes, go ahead. How do you teach a child? Okay, I don't have a little people. But how do you teach a child this high level? You don't. You can't. Well, you teach it to the doctor by helping out the community about doing for people. I guess, but they're not taking in God. I don't think the same way that. So I, I, I like I uh, what I do to my kids. I tell what I do to my kids. I, I tell my kids. So I have a bunch of little kids that are close in age. I always tell them you have to see what if your brother is about to go swallow Lego, which by the way kids love to do. You notice the top of every every Lego head, by the way, has three little holes in the actual Lego head. They do that because God, kids, God forbid, it gets stuck in someone's throat. Or they can pull it out, but they can maybe. Perhaps some oxygen breathe through it. Still not encouraged to be consumed. Despite that. My oldest son was about two. He said God was everybody's imaginary friend. Okay, I'll take that. Uh, Well. Huh? Yeah, so I tell my kids, I say, listen, you have a brother. This is your brother, Right? Uh, you know, this this is your brother. Like this is you know, this is the the best friend you'll have. You see him going through. You see him reaching for something dangerous. You got to stop. It's your responsibility. You have to notice what other kids are doing. You know, if you see a kid, I my kids do this way too often. But you guys have ever come to my house for Shabbos? Like we hope we arrange a Shabbaton. You'll see it. Hopefully, it might be painted by then. But if it's not painted by then, my kids love coloring on walls, especially with permanent markers. It's called chalkboard paint. You might try that. <laughs> I, uh, I I once I made a declaration. I said, you know, you wouldn't give if your kid had a knife, you would take it away, right? Sharp items. Kids shouldn't have sharp items or sharpies. <laughs> they shouldn't have those things. But my kids love doing that. You know, so I tell them, if you see someone, you, if you see something, say something, right? You have to notice what else is doing. You have to notice that. You know, I think that's one way I try to encourage. I think it's a good idea to tell kids. You know, 
point out stuff, let them see things. It's very hard for a kid to see things. But they, when they're taught to do it, then maybe they'll learn how to do it. Uh, that's well, one idea. I think also about God. I tell my kids all the time that we have the Almighty watching over us from, from heaven. You know, the Almighty is watching. My kids know that. Uh, that the Almighty is like our Father in heaven who's watching us, who's there with us, who did all these things for us. And I say, you know, we can't see Hashem. We can't see Him. But He can see us. And that's, in fact, uh, uh, um, I had a great story with this. Uh, that's, um, that's the way the Talmud uh, describes, one of the definitions of Talmud to the Almighty is that Roe Avedonira sees but is unseen. I tell my kids always, Hashem sees us, but we can't see Him. Then it's okay for the kids to know that there's something out there that you can't see, you cannot engage with on a sensory level, but it exists. And you teach the kid and they know that there's something out there that, that exists. You know, I was once, this was like a, one of those uh, uh, episodes of Deja Vu or like super coincidental or uh, just remarkable or, or nothing. I don't even know what to make of it. But I was, uh, I was on the couch and whenever I'm on the couch, my kids like, like jumping up on top of me and running around and pulling my hairs and pulling my ears. Not pulling my hair, but like just being there, whatever. You know, we have a very good relationship, my kids and I. Uh, so... So, and I, I always tell them, I said, you know, Shem can see us, we can see Hashem. I, I guess I was telling it to them recently, it was somehow careening off the sides of their brain. And, and I, was reading, I was reading some sort of book, some sort of Torah book, and I happened to get to the letter that Hashem, the Almighty, Roev, ain't near, seen but unseen. And then as my kid is there behind me, he says, by the way, Abba, you should know, Hashem sees us, but we can't see him. Literally, as I was reading it, I was like, whoa! <laughs> uh, I don't know what it means. I'm not trying to say that, you know, some sort of idea. I, I've, I don't know anything. It probably is nothing, or maybe it's something. I don't know. But it was, it was still a cool episode. It's called synchronicity. Yeah, is that what it's called? Or it's just called something else? Nope. Uh, I can speak a little bit Hebrew. No, no. Well, we lived in Israel. My son spoke a fluent Hebrew. Oh. And then he came here and he forgot it on the plane, like on the stopover in Frankfurt. Oh. He, just, he <laughs> forgot it all. So he didn't say it in Hebrew. He said it in Hebrew. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it was a different, a different one of my uh, my children. But like, that's a good thing to tell you. You you tell a child about something out there that you can't see, uh, but you're opening up a little crack in the window, a little little ice pick, a, you know, a little little Andy Dufresne, uh, uh, you know, in your prison. No one got that reference. Yes. Thank you. Uh, you're, uh, right, you're you're scratching your little your little tiny little little hole, uh, in, you know, in the little prison that the kids are born into. Um, I, I think that they feed off each other. Just Abraham discovered his his kindness, perhaps through his faith. Perhaps we can discover faith through our uh, through our kindness. I think they're interrelated because what they do in a person uh, is essentially the same. Right, what they change. Uh, so to answer your question, I think that those are both good ideas. Um, telling kids to notice things, like getting their... And what's also very interesting, like the Torah, uh, in that verse about Moses, what, the, what did it say about him? It said the one word twice. He saw. He saw. I think it's about, it's about a vision. It's about noticing. Before, before you even act on anything, before even someone uh, behaves in a kind way, at the root of someone's plan is going to be noticing, seeing, vision, right? Perceiving. Perceiving. Is that the words for seeing and hearing in Ooh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I always think confusing. Yeah, it's very interesting. Maybe that's uh, that's maybe that's interlinked. We said that kindness and, and fear of heaven are, are interlinked because it's essentially 
at the core of the human, it's the same thing. You know, I think maybe maybe an action item that we could do uh, would be to just notice other people. You know, you you notice what someone else is going through. You know, just we well, as I mentioned, we've all had this experience of um, of being in a rusty mood and no one noticing it and us being upset about that. Like we've had that experience. I think it's I think it's a common uh, sentiment where, you know, you, you went through something and you really want to let someone know about it, yeah. but no one seems to notice you. Uh, but if someone were actually to stop and say, okay, let's take, a, let's take a, fl- a frame, you know, take a picture, let's take a mugshot of this guy. What's he going through? If you had to ask yourself that question, most people are about to perceive, oh, this person is in a something, they're going through something. But most of us don't see. Yeah, we see, but we don't look. We don't examine. We don't absorb what we encounter. Perhaps a good action item for us would be to try to just, you see someone, what are they going through? Ask yourself that question. And that is a small step towards achieving this uh, love. thing I did all my, my practice, my 39 years of practice. Yeah. yeah. And not just, that. and, and not just. Into it. Some, you know, when a patient came into the office, they just get their meds or they just want to take this, that, and the other, but it saw something a little different about them, you know, we investigated that. Mm-hmm. And not, not just, what kind of medicine? Neurology. So it's not, so you say it's not just about taking what they tell you. Oh, absolutely. It's, 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 it's digging much deeper. It's like, oh, yeah. you uh, look at the facial expressions and, and you know, the body mm-hmm. language, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, there's another element here. Once you see something, you can't unsee it. So we want to avoid seeing it. I think many people do. I think many people do. But once you see it, you can't turn away and act as if. Yeah, but that's what you get there. When you know you should help somebody, you see someone help you know it, you don't do it, you walk up there, don't do it, walk up there. Because you don't face it. Don't do it. That's what you need to do. Well, that's your responsibility. Because yeah. then you have to process your lack of action. But maybe that's why um, God tells Abraham that he's on hallowed ground. Yeah, you do have to take your shoes off to understand the person's perspective, but you still have to walk the path. And everybody's path is a spiritual I, uh, I think um, recently, just yesterday, I think I was uh, guilty of, of, not, of trying to avoid seeing something uh, because it was just too heart-wrenching. Mm, sort of avoid looking at it, seeing it. Well, you're not going to ever be the same. Right. Right, but but I think that's probably uh, that's probably um, just a manifestation of of still not willing or not Process. not being eager to. I want to say one more one more thought, guys, and we'll we'll finish with that. This thought's optional. You know, we talk about uh, you know the Torah tells us or the Talmud tells us that if someone studies Torah, but doesn't do kindness, they don't believe in God. I think that maybe that can make a lot more sense now to us. You know, what does kindness really mean? At the core of what it does to a person, it's opening up their heart. Their heart. Someone doesn't have kindness, their heart's closed. Well, they can be saying a lot of Torah, but maybe they don't believe in God as well. You know, their heart's closed. They don't do kindness. Clearly, their heart's closed. Clearly, God's not there either. In a way that essentially, if you really have faith, you really have kindness. And if you don't have one or the other, you don't, you don't have the other. Perhaps that's what it's saying. That 
all you need to know about a person is whether or not they have this, this characteristic of kindness, and then you'll know if they have faith or not. That's all you need to know. Opening up your heart to someone else will open up the, your heart to, 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 to God as well. Aren't there an over high percentage of rabbis and that's that's a uh, listen. It's a it's a I would say it's probably a controversial sub- subject uh, because I think it's you know it's like a certain element of basic Jewish faith that is um, you know I think I probably every rabbi should believe you know why would someone go to be a rabbi is rabbinate if if it's if they don't believe in God I, I mean that's a bizarre thought. Uh, but I think you know today we're believe that you're not sure. Yeah, you're not sure. You're trying yeah. to be okay. You're not sure. You know, not sure. But agnostic is uh, you don't believe. So whatever. Or you, know, you I think agno- is an agnostic question where yeah, atheism you, you reject. Yeah. You know, yeah so, but you know, I, I I think that there's the risk of trying to think of how to way, a right way to right way to present this. I think that for sure traditionally no one would go to the rabbinate if they didn't have faith. Uh, I think today being a rabbi is not what it used to be. Or just the, the definition of what it means of, of, of being labeled as a rabbi can mean a lot of different things. Um, yes, we do live in a reality where there is this uh, option or this uh, we do find rabbis who don't believe in let's say the divinity of the Torah, or don't believe in uh, don't believe in in God necessarily. Don't believe or are atheist or what's it called? You know. So I do think it's a dilution of of Jewish faith for sure, uh, and I also think that it's uh, it doesn't help the constituents. You know how how are you going to inspire uh, the crowd if you don't and by teaching Torah? Or by teaching about faith when you're not on board, like, and and that I think does contribute to maybe uh, like a dilution of, of the material, you know. But I would we have such powerful. You go ahead. Well, I was I didn't mean to interrupt, but I would assume this is probably. A, I mean, I would assume that in Christianity, it's the same oh, I'm people sure. no, uh, in the clergy. Quite well, so. I mean, you just take for instance what happened the night before last in Brooklyn, where seven uh, uh, Hasidic, you know, they had the hot plate on and the. Uh, yeah, and it, I didn't hear about oh, the, yeah. the husband was away. That's the community. Mother had eight kids. Seven died in the fire. They had a fire because the hot plate was on. Two and two of them got out. The mother got out, and, and one's daughter, but they were severely injured. I don't know if they survived. One, one thing that happens, to, that happens to be the episode that I couldn't. I couldn't. I just saw the headline. I couldn't read it. You couldn't read it, but that. Uh, but that uh, it's too tragic. I can't even think about it. What's your point there? Well, the point is when you when people are they're proselytizing or they're they're preaching and all that, then something like this happens. How do you resolve that with it's, anything it's, in war and all this other thing? Um, um, yeah, die. but we talked about. We had a whole class about this. Um, if you remember, I think you would know. Uh, we taught this is a, this is an issue that is very much discussed. Like we have Jewish history is a, is a, is a never ending uh, litany of 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 suffering, you know, and it's it's something which we really have to examine very thoughtfully and sensitively. Uh, I don't think it's and and something that that, that the Jewish sources do not uh, do not ignore. So I think it's, it's a worthy question. Um, but but as to your original question of, I, I do believe that. 
perhaps some of the erosion that we've had or the attrition that we've had amongst our uh, amongst our communities, you know, wherein you have young Jews that don't support Israel, young Jews don't identify as Jewish, don't participate in synagogue, don't become members. Uh, perhaps, you know, we could really uh, self-examine, self-criticize by saying, if, you know, if the rabbis aren't teaching the powerful lessons of the Torah or aren't uh, uh, inspiring, you know, for whatever reason, either because they themselves aren't so into it. You know, you had that rabbi in Los Angeles who gave the big speech and goes about saying, oh, the Exodus is a bunch of baloney. He gave a speech on Pesach. Can you imagine? How inspiring is it for a young Jew? Say, oh, let's celebrate Passover. We left Egypt. Oh, uh, and the rabbi says, actually, you didn't. You know, a bunch of nonsense. Okay, so what are we doing here? Well, let's, let's leave. Why are we in this masa? Like, if that's the lesson that you're going to impart um, uh, to, uh, to the community, well, how inspiring is that? You know, if, if you're not going to be teaching faith, if you're not going to be teaching Torah, well, then is it a shot that the kids are going to leave the faith of the Torah? I thought faith you live was not an appropriate term to use. Not faith. Faith is a okay, 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 evidence. okay, okay. Well, we have an abundant amount of evidence. We should just know. Yeah, okay, okay. So that's that's a, a semantics, right? We had that discussion about evidence. Oh, we talked about last week, and we yeah. talked about evidence, and I have more. It's more of that coming. You coming, by the way? Uh, but yes, that's true. That's true. But you know, when I, when I, of course, pardon my uh, misuse of the term. But what I what I meant is a, a belief and a, a living of life with the recognition and cognizance of God. That's what I meant when I say faith. Uh, yes, of course. Um, it's 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 you know it's if we have faith alone, then we're missing something. Which, by the way, once we open the subject, Maimonides in the uh, in the um, in the Mishnah Torah talks about just not knowledge. However, in the Guide to the Perplex, opens the door for faith based upon tradition being worthy of something. So we're not going to totally repudiate faith uh, as, it, as it being just a belief that was uh, uh, inculcated by, uh, by parents or by tradition. We don't, we don't negate that entirely. It has a place. Uh, yet, yet we demand more, of course. Uh, but yes, I do think, I do think that's, that's a big problem that, uh, that we're facing, you know. Uh, where this reality does not necessarily go very far in contributing towards reversing a trend that's very troubling for us. Either way, those are my thoughts, guys. Uh, kindness, yes, we talk about kindness, very important, four levels of kind, but it's a transformational quality that hopefully will harness and become fantastic people. Thanks a lot for coming. And next, is that it? Are we, are we done here for... Uh, well, after Pesach, I have a wonderful Pesach, and we'll have a curriculum. And if you have any ideas, please please share them. Yes. No class. That's right.